Welcome back to the Golf Rules Questions podcast. This is episode 101. The past week, Blakey and Stuart have been working at the Asian Tour Q School with Blakey on the outside of the ropes for a change, starting with the planning, the meetings, the decisions, and the execution while a podcast was actually out there giving rulings. Stuart was also at the Q School for the DP World Tour and gives us some fascinating rulings from there. We also go through the answer for the GRQ OTW 100. So whether you're in your car or going for a walk, enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Stuart's one of our highest ranked working rules officials that we have, one of the best we've got. And he knows he's... Welcome everyone to the Golf Rules Questions podcast, episode 101. And after the big episode last week of 100, uh, we decided to start filming in person so although you can't see this on the podcast um but if you are watching on youtube or uh, on spotify then you'll see that uh myself and my dear friend podcast mcphee otherwise known as Stuart, is alongside me recording this in this expensive studio that we uh we hooked up so uh, yeah, it's a it's a new world for us, and uh, welcome, to the podcast. Thank you, Blakey. It is great to be here, and thank you for inviting me into your home. Actually, uh, what, what do you mean, uh, home? This is an expensive podcast studio. Well, it could be it could be both, I guess. Yeah, I, I eat my cereal over there. So, <laughs> well, thank you anyway. Uh, fantastic. So uh, we had a big week last week, so we didn't get anything. Um, Oh, we did get last thing. We recorded last Monday, didn't we? Yes. Oh, I totally forgot. Did we? No, because I was working. We didn't record the podcast. It was, we recorded on like fr- Friday. Yeah. Yeah, so so we didn't get anything out last week. Well, we got episode 100 out, but we didn't get anything. We didn't actually record anything to have 101. So we're doing it now is what I'm trying to get at. Took me a long way around. Anyway, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about our week last week and also um, Stuart has some uh, rules, scenarios from the recent. So he's done a couple of Q school stage ones, one for the European tour in Australia at Rosebud and one for the Asian tour at Mount Derriman. Last week where you were the tournament director and it might be the first time you and I have worked together at an event for some time. My very first professional event, you were there. Um, We did one or two maybe after that, but uh, since then, so it's the first one you and I actually worked on together for quite a while. The funny thing about that though is that I didn't spend too much time in a car as a referee as opposed to uh jeff ward was our chief referee and you were helping him out um with pace of play and rulings that were required there were quite um there quite a few rulings um certainly same a lot for the same category and pace of play as we'll talk about was actually a bit of a non-issue but um yeah it was all good it was good to do the q school and um just have all those people well we'll talk about this later but just have those players where they're really playing for something quite I know they're playing every week and everything, but really something to strive towards to, you know, to make their way through to that next stage. But um, anyway, we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah, I wrote a blog about this and posted it on Saturday night, I think. 
Um, probably while I was watching the Ryder Cup, which was a fantastic result for the Europeans as well. Um, uh, hopefully you have seen it before, seen the result before uh, this podcast goes out the air, but uh, I'm sure you will have. Uh, yeah, Europeans getting up, just dominant in that team's uh, stuff on the Friday, Saturday, and then managed to get over the line in the singles as well. Uh, I love team golf. I love it. That's why probably why I enjoy it. But uh, I love team golf. Well, I sent you a note on Friday night about the foursomes. I think foursomes, are, at that level, foursomes is just an unbelievable event where every single shot counts. Where the four ball, you can say that, you know, a guy can wipe a hole effectively and pick his ball up and it sort of doesn't matter as much because he's, you know, his partner's next to the hole a metre away. But foursomes, what an unbelievable format where the pressure is on. And I absolutely love watching both foursome sessions at the Ryder Cup. Yeah, and uh, see that result from um, Hovland and Adberg smashed Scheffler and Kipka, uh, nine and seven. And if you look at the score card, um, yeah, Scheffler and Kepka didn't work well together. They had a lot of bogeys. Uh, but at the same time, Hovland and Adberg had birdies when they needed, needed to have birdies. Um, and that's why the result was as it was. But uh, no, I just love match play full stop. You know, just just watching uh, the Burns and Rory match yesterday uh, for the first nine holes. And, you know, Rory just hit it close. He made the putts. If you don't make those putts, the pressure just doesn't, keep getting applied and you know and that's what sort of Sam Burns succumbed to he just he was playing really well actually he just couldn't hit it close enough and as close as Rory Rory kept making these five to ten footers and kept the pressure on and that's why he uh, got over the line quite easily but it was actually you could say it was a closer match than that Um, however Sam Burns just couldn't hit it close enough but uh, let's get into the GRQ OTW 100. Uh, do you want to reiterate the question? Stuart? I will. So GRQ OTW from episode 100. Ross pushes his tee shot right into the rough. He plays his second shot across the fairway into the left rough. He plays his third shot to just short of the green. Upon reaching that ball short of the green, he realises it is not his ball, and he has played a wrong ball. He returns to where he made his third shot uh, from to search and cannot find his ball, although he does find another in the area, which he now believes was the ball he hit for his second shot. He returns to the right rough where he made his second shot from to proceed under stroke and distance for a lost ball. He drops correctly in the right rough using his best estimate when he finds his original ball, which he hit from the team area. Where must Ross make his next stroke from and what stroke will it be? Uh, This is a good one. So he's hit a wrong ball and then he's hit another wrong ball. Uh, A different wrong ball, right? So that was the scenario I was trying to have. I just couldn't find the right words. So I think people could take it either way. Whether... The second shot, they've hit a wrong ball and then hit that That same same roller ball. ball. Or they've actually hit two separate balls as wrong balls. I was trying to word it up that way to add a layer of complexity to it. The result is the same, but, yeah, they've obviously hit a wrong ball uh, at some point. So they weren't aware that they hit the second wrong ball, whether it was the same wrong ball or a different wrong ball. So it's still only the one penalty for hitting one wrong ball. 
Okay, then they've got to fix their mistake by going back and finding the original, which he's gone back in a zigzag to um, get to. But then he's dropped a ball, um, stroking distance for a lost ball, which makes no sense because that's uh, that's not correct. Um, he'd have to go back to the tee, and then he finds the original ball. Now, I did ask on the last podcast if the original was found within the three minutes. And I think you said yes. No, no, sorry. I said because we had done an original search for the original ball, um, believe you'd found it, played it, which we now know was a wrong ball. And, of course, the hole has continued. But, so, all, but all the time spent in searching for the, I mean, in playing the wrong ball does not count in the search time um, for the wrong, the original ball. Okay, so my scenario was that the three minutes is well and truly gone. Okay, so yeah. the three minutes is up. So he's dropped a ball, but then he's found the original. Uh, he needs to pick up that dropped ball and go back to the tee. And he's going to be playing one off the tee, two for the wrong ball, three for the stroke and distance. Sorry, four. So two, three for the wrong ball, four for the stroke and distance, and he'd be hitting his fifth off the tee. Is that what you got? That is my understanding, yes. <clears throat> Definitely going back to the tee, no option to go back to the tee, and they'll be playing, or sorry, Ross will be playing his fifth stroke from the tee. So now let's go into the scenario, um, just in case people went down this track and I was kind of leaning down this track. If the original had been found within the three minutes, so you get up there, you search for 30 seconds, and then you find the ball and you hit it your search time still stays at 30 seconds. You keep going, keep going. You haven't continued your search time. You go back eventually is what happened with Ross. He <laughs> goes back and he's still got two and a half minutes to find the ball. He then finds the ball within two and a half minutes, uh, but he'd also dropped the ball with the intention for it to come into play. So this is where it gets really tricky. Um, he finds his original ball, but he'd taken his original ball out of play by the dropping of um, incorrectly, or not the drop might not have been incorrectly, but it was an incorrect procedure. Um, so he's taken the original ball out of play by dropping with the intention for this other ball to come and play. Um, he still needs to pick that ball up because it was not correct under 18.1 or 18.2 um, and then go back to the tee, right? Yeah, so that, as you say, that drop was on the, an inapplicable rule. So, <clears throat> pardon me, then you need to, 14.5 would suggest you need to correct um, that mistake of a, a proceeding under an inapplicable rule, dropping a ball under an inapplicable rule, and you now know information has come to light that, in fact, you have done that, and you must correct it. 14.5 says that you must correct it, which is what Ross would have done, walking back to the tee with the probably two groups now waiting behind on the tee. <laughs> Anything to sort this out. So if he had never dropped his ball, where so to proceed, if he'd never dropped a ball and he'd found the original ball, the original balls are still still the ball in play because it hasn't been lost um, or hasn't been searched for over three minutes. So it's not lost yet. So if he'd done that and not dropped the ball and you know, which was clearly a stupid mistake, um, then he would would have just been hitting his fourth because it's the two for the wrong ball, one off the tee, and now he's found his original within the three minutes and it's still the ball in play. Oh, Roscoe. A bit dumb. Uh, so 
That is GRQOTW for 100. Now, let's get into um, last week. So last week, um, I've been prepping for this for maybe since the start of March, uh, when I've been talking to the Asian tour about running a stage one Q school in Australia. Last year, they ran one in the US. It went really successfully. Um, got quite a few uh, Americans through and then through to stage two. And then they play, uh, made stage two as well. And they got on that, uh, the Asian tour uh, for this year. So now um, there was this opportunity for a lot of Australians instead of, and New Zealanders, instead of flying all the way to Thailand um, or wherever the other, or even the US, wherever the other stages are, um, they could just come to Australia. They might live in Melbourne. They might It might be a three-hour trip from Auckland or Christchurch, um, come down from Sydney, and it was, in our mind, going to be cheap, a little bit cheaper for them than flying all the way to Thailand. Uh, they liked the idea. I said I could do it. Um, you know, I didn't know if I could, but I, I said I did. Fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> But uh, luckily, I and this is probably the most important thing, is I got a really good team involved. I was We were looking for 60 to 70 players. We ended up uh, getting 40. Next year, if we release it a little bit earlier and people know that it's coming to Australia, because this was the first year it had ever done, uh, the Asian Tour had ever run it uh, solo. Uh, but uh, So not, not many of the players actually knew that it was coming. Um, if we release it a bit early, earlier, tell people that it's happening, um, I'm sure we'll get to 60 to 70 players turning up. Now, finding a course, everyone's asked me this, why did you go to Mount Dermot? Now, that's there, there is a sort of uh, snobbiness around Melbourne because we're so spoilt with the amazing sandbelt golf courses that we do have. And even down the Mornington Peninsula, and over the Ballerine Peninsula, we're very, very lucky in uh, Melbourne, especially with the golf course, the condition of the golf courses and the design and, you know, where they are and what they're situated on, that sand belt type, that, that sand is so good um, for drainage, for minimise disease, all that type for preparation, for low cost maintenance, that type of thing. Um, whereas we didn't go there. We went to Mount Derrimut, built on clay. <laughs> now, golf courses built on clay uh, don't usually play as well. And as I said, it was, it was all mainly because of this, well, living in Melbourne and having all this access to all these other fantastic courses that uh, a lot of people go, oh, why are you going there? But, you know, there's more to, um, and I said this in the in the blog, there's more to holding a golf tournament than just just the condition of the course. It makes a, a plays a big part of it. And certainly the professionals, um, you know, that's how they're trying in the stage one qualifying school to try get onto um, getting a tour card and securing the job for next year. Uh, but it's not the be all and end all of holding a tournament. You know, in your defense, <clears throat> if you were to ask golfers what, what part of the what do you mean defense? Oh, <laughs> if you what you said before you'd receive some comments. I want to launch your defence. If you ask golfers which area of the course would they want to be in really, really good condition, the best condition, um, I would think it would be the putting greens. 
and the putting greens were in really, really good condition because they want to be able to make birdies, right? So yes, it was a bit rough in some areas and over here was a bit rough, but the greens were phenomenal. And I saw a lot of putts made. And I think that's what golfers want is they want to be able to putt on really, really good surfaces. And they got that. Yeah, and the fairways as well. Uh, that was the other thing. The fairways were really, really nice. You know, again, consistent lies. There were a few divots around, but uh, there were always are. Uh, and especially, I was sort of more concerned coming out of winter as to how the course will be. They were a bit nervous because last year they had so much rain. This year, obviously, we have hardly any rain. We've got lots of sun. Um, the course had been baked for the last six weeks. <laughs> Uh, so it was playing hard and fast, and I was just telling the um, Simon the uh, course super to, you know, not have it rolling so fast um, because it, one of the trickiest things, and um, they would say the defence of the course is that that there's not many flat spots. There's contours everywhere, there's slopes everywhere on the greens. Finding whole lo four hole location plus the practice rain uh, practice day whole location was difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we actually got one of the best day, one of the best weeks you could ever have. There was low wind for that area of Melbourne is very rare, especially in September. Um, but yeah, so we got very lucky on that side of things. But you know, the club, the club was so supportive, and the golf course itself is actually fantastic. Like it really is. It's a lot better, and we heard that from the players. They came over here. They had low, low, low expectations. And they went away going, actually, that's that's not too bad. There's there's a few things that you know we could tweak for next year. There is it, it's a private course, but there's plenty of access for public. Um, you know, they're on the low side of their membership at the moment, uh, the membership numbers. And so you can easily go and join up there as a as a member and um, get access on Saturday afternoon quite easily. And I, I would highly recommend you do that, especially if you live over there in the in the west side. But it's only 20 minutes from the city as well. So it's, it's pretty easy, easily accessible with uh, the main roads around it. Um, so I can't, and the club itself supported us so well. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping we'll be in talks with those kind of things, but I'm hoping we can look for a long-term type thing uh, there because it was, it, it really was um, set up well and just so supportive. And, you know, we had our own, fantastic tournament office room that was easily accessible by the players um the range was was good for the players and um they have a grass we had grass access in the mornings they did have to hit off the driving mats in the afternoon uh, but uh in the morning you know it, it looked beautiful um you can see the city some of the photos that we've got out there at the moment you can see City off the second tee and off the first tee, down to the 18th green. Um, just a real great vista uh, at that Mount Derham. It used to be called Sunshine, well, Sunshine Golf Club, and then they changed their name um, just to reflect where they, the golf course actually is situated in which suburb. And, uh, yeah, we had a, had a really great time there. <clears throat> we did. I was just going to say one more thing about the course was two very different nines. Well, the back nine was really quite flat and the front nine was quite hilly not overly hilly but certainly quite undulating so just very different nines for the players to tackle uh during the week during the four rounds and it's funny about that because the the back the front nine being hillier um you actually and and probably just a tad sheltered you get more wind on that 
back nine and the wind uh yeah has a real um yeah, feature now it's not a feature of course it's just a, a more of a influence uh when you're playing that back mm -hmm. nine mm -hmm. uh but uh yeah no so i didn't actually get out there too much to help referee so um the rules of golf um for me I had my chief referee from uh, Jeff from the start and we went and had a look at the course in June, I think it was. And, you know, there was a few things there. We just wanted to make sure we um, got our boundaries exactly right. Um, we stretched them out in some areas that, than where the club um, normally has them. Uh, then we wanted to work out what our penalty areas looked like. Um, they actually had yellow penalty areas there prior to the week and i asked the uh the club if we could change them to be all red um there were some that crossed across so perpendicular to your line of play which traditionally is yellow uh, but they were not in front of the green they were more catching your drives and i said to jeff looks let's just make it really easy and just only buy one can of uh <laughs> of color colored paint and that was red so um we got that sorted and now i don't know if the club will keep them as red or yellow uh, or move them back to yellow but we kept the, uh, we made them all red it's mainly the penalty areas are mainly on the back nine um and there was a few gur things gur situations but there always are you know you have some bad weather or you have a leaking pipe or whatever happens that's always going to happen um, the other thing that uh, we did have, there's a lot of stone walls, rock walls, stone walls, and the club actually provide free relief, um, not only from interference uh, to your stance, swing and lie, but also uh, if you're reasonably close, like a couple of club lengths away, um, then you're within this GUR area. Um, you also, but uh, we we got rid of those. Jeff, Jeff and I and Doug, uh, we got rid of those. And the, the stone walls were as they were intended to be from the start, integral objects. And if you got stuck behind it, that was just bad luck. So. I've never seen so many stones on a golf course. They were everywhere. Yeah. Just imagine the effort however many years ago to actually put them in place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so interesting. You made them integral objects. And, you know, every now and again, there was a player whose drive would end up right behind it. And you know what? They were turning left 90 degrees and chipping out. They had no, no option. Um, they couldn't hit over them. Um, the interesting thing about those integral objects, all the walls, was there was a lot of uh, rabbit holes around them, which was another feature in a way of the course and you know i'm driving in the very first morning i think within 50 meters of entering the driveway a rabbit run across in front of me that i avoided hitting um i realized there might be a few rabbits around here which the rabbit holes pose their own issue from a rules perspective if you want to talk about them if you're happy to talk about that now the interesting thing with how many animal holes there were on the course all from rabbits was <clears throat> there were so many in areas around these integral objects around the walls was it was then hard to work out, you know, because animal holes include not just the hole itself, but the material that's come out of that hole. And it was difficult at times when there was holes everywhere, was was the ball sitting on material that had come out of a hole or was it just the dirt from that entire area? And that was a bit of a, a, bit of a challenge sometimes. It's um, a, uh, 
you know, just one for the referee to make a decision. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it was because it clearly wasn't in a hole. It was on the dirt. Um, one time I actually grabbed the tee off the player and I probed myself. Uh, I probed into the ground, you know, is this hard surface or is it actually loose material? Um, and sure enough, it was loose. And I said, no, you're fine. Um, take your nearest point club length. And you know what? He chipped out sideways anyway. <laughs> so all I did was gave him another club length back away from the wall to chip. He was still chipping left and hoping to make that par five and three with a very long shot to come. So he was still penalised in the sense of being behind the wall. The animal hole in that case really didn't help him that much. But that was a bit of a test because there was a lot of animal hole. And I know you made the rule that it was interference to the ball only, not stance, because there was quite a lot of times players were standing pretty much across an animal hole, across a rabbit hole, that their ball was fine. Yeah, so that's uh, one on our hard card, the Asian Tour. And I believe, and don't quote me on this, but uh, with all the other tours that I've worked with, um, I believe that's pretty standard around the world for uh, hard cards, is that relief from an animal hole is swing and lie only, and you do not get it for stance. I had an interesting um, situation with an animal hole where the player called me over. I won't mention his name. Uh, you and I both know him. The player called me over and sure enough, his size 10 right right foot was sitting right across the top of an animal hole, rabbit hole. And he said, oh, do I get relief for this? I said, no, it's lively ball, not the stance. And then sure enough, his ball was also sitting in a bit of a scrape as well, a bit of a, 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 bit of a non-grassed area. I said, oh, what about the ball? And I got down onto my knees to look at it a bit closely. Before I even said anything, the player admitted, yeah, probably isn't an animal hole, which made my decision a bit easier to go, actually, I agree with you, which to this day right now, I don't think it was an animal hole. It's just an area with no grass. So sure enough, he accepted that. But he admitted admitted straight away, yeah, probably isn't an animal hole going, yeah, I agree with you. Don't you love those rules where you don't, actually are not actually providing a ruling in the first place because you know the players not have not arguing against you he's actually arguing for you <laughs> to not give provide relief so I, I had actually I had one where um it was a long time ago but it was an animal hole or it was a footprint or whatever it was and you know the player argue 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 and I was and I said no and then he said no no, no and I I went back and I changed my mind and I was like, oh, I'm not sure I should have done that. It, you know, it was so 50-50 on whether it was or whether it was just people because people have been walking in the area as well. Anyway, he, I gave him free relief. He smacked it into a tree, smacked it into another tree, ended up making eight and I felt I felt that that was, that was golf rules karma. You know, if you get free relief where you shouldn't really be getting free relief, then... You should go on and be making a quad. I don't, uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and there'll be a clarification coming in. Yeah. That. And so when you actually do deny someone and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I just can't give you relief for that, um, you hope that they hit this miracle shot and make a booty. That's that's what you hope. <clears throat> I actually, funnily enough, I did actually have, give one ruling. I uh, intercepted uh, one of our referees and helped help them out and just because it was so close to the clubhouse and but it was just so funny you know this here we had this we drew lines and club golf uh you don't really you don't usually see lines you know 
it's usually stake to stake. Um, some some club clubs do have it, but you know it's, it takes time for um, green keepers to, to maintain it, to maintain it, draw the lines, all that kind of thing. Um, but whereas in the tour, you know, it's a big thing, and it makes it so much easier. You don't you don't have to get out your fairy floss. No, not your fairy floss. Your two dental floss. Dental floss. Um, and you know, measure it's just it's on the line or it's off the line or whatever it is. Anyway, and this one was um you know say this was the line because it's uh you know this is a microphone a mic microscoped in about a thousand but say this was how um you know the line's actually this but uh oh you can't see it on the podcast because if you're listening but if you're um watching on youtube you'll be able to see but um the ball was actually no part of the, the ball was half on the line and half um out of bounds well the line is out of bounds but the the lot the ball was half on the line and half um away from the course away from the oh. course on the other side of the course <clears throat> Got it. and uh the player was arguing I, I well if i didn't know the rules i probably would have argued as well because in so many sports like tennis if you hit the line you're in brings up chalk you're good right mm. um cricket you need to be over the line um, with a no ball and with runouts. So cricket's more like golf. Uh, I'm not sure that the other sports like uh, basketball is the court defined by the outside line or the inside line. Um, <clears throat> outside, almost the certain. AFL, it's the outside. So the total ball has to be if it touches the line, um, you're take that back inside line. You're in. So the interesting thing about that. So I heard that call over the radio, um, the referee on the spot behind the ninth green where it was out of bounds. I heard the call about the description about on the line, but half it's off and I'm going, that ball's in bounds. Yeah. What I didn't hear over the radio yeah. was the half not on the line was actually away from the course, not in the course. Um, so it's good that you were literally 50 metres away and drove over and or walked over and and sorted that out on the spot. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a sort of walk slash run slash just a it was a you know probably Olympic gold in the forty k walk. Uh, I don't think that's an event. I think it's fifty k. Um, but uh, I got over there and the player was like, and I wouldn't normally do this, but the player was so adamant. And he's a lovely player. I, he he wasn't aggressive at all, not aggressive, but he was just so adamant that. The ball was touching the line, so it had to be in. And I said, no, no, no. It has to be at least touching the course. The line is not the course. It needs to be touching the course. And I actually grabbed my mobile. I wouldn't normally do this. Grab my mobile because I. the great thing is some of the book has pictures in it. And I went to 18.1. Um, I was surprised that I actually remembered it. Yeah. 18.1. And there was the photo. And I just said, here you go, mate. Just look at that. And he looked and he goes, okay, yeah, it's out. Picks his ball up and he'd hit a provisional. It's only a short hole too. It was only a wedge. But if you mm. just get it, it was, you know, it's actually, it's a tough green to find four hole locations, but a brilliant green for risk reward, um, even, uh, you know. And so you just had to be just over the back and it rolled out of bounds. It was, it was a good... Uh, but such a short hole, it actually played reasonably difficult, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, For like, it, it was 115, 120 at most? Uh, yeah, downhill. It made maybe 135. Okay. Um, the, I think the first day would have been the best day for it because it was actually into the wind. 
uh, whereas the last couple of days were downwind. So you catch a little bit of a flyer, you hit the downslope on the back and you, you, you're gone. gone. Yeah. So that was my sort of only ruling. <laughs> um, you had animal holes. There was also, you know, there was a ball or a couple of balls against those uh, stone walls and they had to get, you know, denied. So um, an unfortunate situation, one of the players where he was up against uh, one of the integral objects, against one of the walls, but was on the gravel path. So was entitled to free relief from that gravel path. The nearest point of complete relief was effectively the wall. Um, so they've gone to the other side of the wall, away from the hole on the other side of the wall to establish their one complete relief area, drop the first time, rolled outside, drop a second time and actually roll closer back towards the wall and then had no shot. So then had to take an unplayable, unfortunately. Um, oh. Just one of those drops, just the way the ball fell and rolled. I remember giving a ruling like this to, not like that, but, uh, and this is not a name drop, it's just a situation, uh, to John Rahm. And he dropped, it rolled out, so he dropped again and it rolled closer to the area that he was taking the unplayable football from. And, <laughs> and everyone's going, ooh. And then he he goes like this with his, you can't see me, but he's, he sort of clenched fist, one of just, grab it and strangle it tight. He's like, ah, like this. It was, you know, he's obviously trying to win a tournament and stuff like that, but uh, that, that was pretty funny. Um, you know, it's the, the bounce of the ball, play the courses you find it, play the balls it lies. Um, so. And there's a lot of gravel paths. And yeah. um, so the person in the last group on the last day on the, I'm trying to think of the whole number, 16? I'll go back to 14, 13. <laughs> Just uh, the par five along the back fence. Um, push his second shot left, ends up on a path. He, I was right there and ready to help. He seemed to know what he was doing because he actually went to either side of the path, took a stance to work out his nearest point and then actually paced it out to work out which side it was going to be. I actually paced it out as well and sort of threw in, yeah, I think it's this side. Then this side was actually really uneven ground and it was really actually not a great spot to drop. So I felt like I needed to say this, and I did say it. Now, I know half the players know this anyway. Some of them don't think about it. I just said, remember, you can play the ball as it lies. I just wanted to tell him that. And, of course, I got the old, yeah, come on, I know that sort of thing. But I thought that was the right thing, even though I copped that as if you think I'm an idiot or something, don't know the rules. But I felt it was important because I think they see that and go, bang, I've got relief. The worst thing is if they pick their ball up and then you go, Oh, you could play the ball as it lies. Fortunately, the ball was still sitting where it had come to yeah. rest. But I, I felt like that you've got to say that because I saw straight away, right, we've picked this side. This is clear, clearly the nearest point of complete relief. Wow, I wouldn't want to be dropping there. It actually looks really rough. Um, so I just said it. I said, remember, you can play as it lies. Well, you could do um, this. You could go, uh, remember, you can play the ball as it lies. But if you want to take relief and then you sort of move into it so, uh, so quickly that, uh, you know, they sort of got that gist, but yes, they can. Yes, they they uh, you're already onto the next part, and they're like, yeah, yeah, this is where I want to go. Not as a standalone statement, yeah, correct. as in you don't know no. this, but you can. You play can the play the balls at last. You don't know that. <laughs> That's why I'm you, here, you idiot. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, you just hope. I mean, I do sometimes say. Um, it, you know, some some of them will ask me, oh, can I pick the ball up? And goes, 
And I go, as quick as I can, I go, yeah, just as long as you don't want to play it. <clears throat> exactly. I just as long as you don't want to play yeah. it. Are you, take, are you taking relief is what yeah. I said. Yeah. Because, you know, because if you, yeah. And, but at the same time, if it's like dropping from sprinkler hit onto a fairway, um, and it's you get, the person's going to get a perfect lie, or there's no such thing as a perfect lie, but they're going to get a good lie in the fairway. Um, you're probably not going to say that because then you know that they, you know, if they said, "Oh, can I replace my ball?" You go, "Well, that's a one-shot penalty," or you can just drop just drop it in the fairway, fairway, or like you were going to. Um, oh, I'll just do that. You know, it was, mm-hmm. they're never going to go back to that spot. Mm-hmm. Had so, a couple of players because there was a lot of gravel paths, as you know, and a lot of relief situations. And I'm sure the players did it a lot themselves. They weren't going to call anyone in. But one particular one, of course, the guy put the tee right next to his ball. And I just said, are you, are you taking relief? And uh, you're definitely taking relief and all that. So I said, just pick the tee up. You don't need to mark it anyway. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. One other dropping procedure. This is the par five fourth. So up the hill, over the hill, down towards that back fence. Um, one of the younger people in the field, you'll probably know this guy. He played as a two-ball a fair bit. Um, hit the green, kept going through, and you know it's out the back, rolled down, out of bounds. Ball search, I've got the timer going, and then one of the other players actually saw the ball out through the fence. Player came over, yep, that's mine, out of bounds. I said, okay, I'm driving back. Driving back, I said, you need to work out best estimate. Where did you actually hit that shot from? And he's going, of course, the other group are now coming up. And he's going, yeah, it was right there because I couldn't see that. He was pretty good about it. I couldn't see the top of the flag. It's probably right around here. I said, okay, I'll let you off and I'll drive you back. So as he's walking, a few paces off, he grabs his ball and just flicks it onto the ground, just tossed it. And I'm just trying to think, where would he have tossed Like just hip height, just sort of as if he was having a practice round. Um, just tossed it to the ground. Um, as in that was clearly his intention was that ball is now in play. He's about to hit it. So I had... Zero choice but to say you need to drop that properly. I've never seen a player just as if he was just a practice round. He just flipped it, just tossed it onto the ground. No knee height, not letting it drop from and let it just fall through the air. It was a toss. <laughs> so I said, I need you to drop. I've never done that before. But, uh, yeah, you need to drop that correctly. And he, goes, and he didn't sort of argue or go, oh, come on. or He just sort of picked it up and dropped it properly. But anyway, I'm surprised that he did that because he's obviously a very, very, very good golfer and played a lot of golf. Um, okay, so anything else from uh, the qualifying score at uh, Mount Durham? Sorry, we're back on there. Yeah, we are. So we're just still rolling. Um, so the other thing, that the final thing for me, um, so we had great days, um, whole locations were approved. Uh, no one said, you know, they were tough. some were tough, but there was no diabolical ones, so I was pretty happy with that. Um, we got great weather conditions, so, um, you know, with the wind, if the wind had got up, some of my whole locations may have been or may have turned into diabolical, uh, but they weren't too bad. Uh, we only had 41 players, um, so we only had the morning field, tee off at 8, finish at 9, and then I think uh, our pace of play was pretty good, wasn't it? Fantastic, never an issue. Um, now was I was looking at this, and uh, yeah, even you know, even our lead groups, they were reasonably fast players as well. So I was I was looking forward to getting them on most of them on uh, onto our tour as well. Um, but some had caddies, some did, or most didn't. Um, we did have uh, pool buggies available, um, you know, so we were just pulling them. 
Um, some bought their own buggies. Uh, we didn't have yardage books available. And I, I definitely think there were two things that stood out to me. Um, we did have uh, range finders, and, and that's a standard on the Asian tour currently. I think it, it came in about July. But uh, yardage books seemed to slow people down. And rough seems to slow people down. Now, rough, you know, you can change the course setup. There was hardly any rough. You could you could not lose your ball in the rough. You could lose your ball in a penalty area. There was some other sort of bush area type stuff, but there was no rough. Like you could see your built ball in the off the fairway from 250 meters away. Compare that to the Ryder Cup course. Yeah. So there was no rough. So that definitely helped the pace of play. And there was no yardage books. And I actually think um, the argument you might say, oh, they can hit it closer because they're more accurate with yardage books. I disagree with that. Uh, but they don't spend half an hour or yep. half a minute um, reading their book, trying to work out where they're going to hit it. And, you know, that's half a minute each shot that they save, even on the green. You know, the scoring was still very reasonable. I mean, we had two course record 64s. The winning score was minus 16. Um, the cut number for that uh, last player getting in was minus 10 after four rounds. Uh, the greens with the defence, they were they were tricky in themselves. So, yeah, I, I highly doubt you ever get rid of the yardage books, but they to me, they really made a difference in pace of play. I'm going to make one comment about, you mentioned about caddies, some players having them. It changes, I think, the dynamic for a referee because there was one player on the last day that I denied relief to and now I'm battling two people because clearly the player was not happy and then the caddy became not happy. And I was really actually getting two people talking to me at once and one of them was actually reasonably aggressive. Um, so it really changes the dynamic. Um, as a referee, that two on one and you're the one and you're the one defending your decision. Um, and I still to this day perfectly comfortable with the decision. He clearly wasn't happy. Um, he then didn't hit a very good shot and hit it out the back of the, I believe at this stage, and I certainly won't name him, he knew that he was out of the running. This was the final day. He wasn't going to make that eighth place. Um, so this didn't help. I, I, I don't know how you, I know like your thoughts on this is, no unplayables, no relief or anything, just play the damn ball, play the course you find it. You just, the ball's there, just hit it, right, regardless of what you come across. But I wonder how you look at it this time in this particular situation. He was also probably 60 metres off the fairway as well. Um, so it wasn't if he was just off the edge. He was on a completely different hole on the other side of that hole um, in front of a teeing area for another hole. Um, does that, I mean, it, sh it doesn't, obviously, the rule book doesn't say about that. But in the back of your mind, as human, can't you go, what are you doing over? You would never say this to the player. What, you're over, you're way over here. Like, what sort of leeway do you expect? You don't deserve anything. I'm not saying, the, we know the rules of golf don't talk about anything like that. But I'm just, we're, we're people, as humans, subconsciously, don't we go, Wow, you are way over here. You're 60 metres off line. I think what people now think is, how can I get free relief? How do I deserve free relief? Which uh, it goes against what I how I believe. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I do take that into account. You know, there's abnormal on the fairway, which is, you know. Drain? Well, well, 
there's more abnormal on the fairway because it's not that nice manicured grass. There's less abnormal in the rough and there's even less abnormal <laughs> in the deep, deep rough because it's not abnormal over there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I know you can say it's abnormal course condition, so it's abnormal to the course. Well, to what part of the course? Like abnormal on the green is, you know, everything is abnormal bar a blade of grass. But out in the deep bunga, I have a different <clears throat> deep rough every time I come on this thing. Um, is is it's not that abnormal over there when you you know even tire tracks and uh, deep wheel marks and stuff. It's, how abnormal is that? I mean, that's just that it's normal. It's dumping ground, mm. you know. So what you're saying, and I understand, I get what you're saying there. So far as ground under repair, if all of that mess with that deep rough was sitting in the middle of the fairway. There'd be the biggest, brightest white line painted around yeah, that free relief. area, right? I'd almost but, give free relief for line of play, almost. But the, yeah, almost, but the fact almost. that but the fact that it's over there, it's just it's not as abnormal. Yeah. Very interesting perspective. Yeah, that's I see it. it. That's, yeah. uh, you know, that's the, what you should expect over there. The course, the course is encompasses everything. I mean, you know, the maintenance shed, the clubhouse, sometimes, um, you know, all these things are encompassed in the course. And so, you know, it's not like they can just dump their extra leaves and branches on the neighbor's property. So, you know, you're going to have those kind of areas until the greenkeeper is able to burn them or bury them or whatever, use as mulch, whatever it is. Um, you know, if you are able to, if you're a lucky enough course to have a certain space that you can put out of bounds, um, then you put out all your, uh, all your waste over there. But there will be times when waste, um, whatever that is, is going to be on the course. If it's in an area that's so far off from the fairness of playing, the fair line of playing, um, then it's probably not as abnormal as you think it is. Interesting that the caddy in that particular case said to me, hey, it's right next to the teeing area. <laughs> now, it was on the teeing area of another hole, but it was next to a teeing area. And I had, to say, good argument. I had to say, I had to say, I had to say it's irrelevant. Like, I the like fact that, that it's next to a team area. That's true, but I like that argument because it potentially, if they were playing that other hole, would you give them relief? Were you more likely to give relief because it's on that line of play? Right. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad you were there, not me. <laughs> um, now, there was one other thing. Uh, we had internal out of bounds as well. For uh, we had internal out of bounds on the first hole. Um, if you hit it right, um, playing the first hole, which if you were, it sort of the direction meant that if you went, it cut at the corner off a little bit. If you just hit it down the second, um, so you weren't necessarily going to get a great lie. Um, you could have hit it on the fairway of the second, but. Uh, you could have hit it just off the fairway. You, you know, the big bounce could have rolled into rough, not much rough, so it would have been fine. But the big, the big advantage of going that way would have been getting away from any kind of penalty area on the left. So a few players um, did still take driver and they were accurate enough to keep on their own hole. But I heard of two, I heard of two that hit it out of bounds on the internal OB. Um, now they were by accident. Um, which we're not trying to stop the accident. That's just a byproduct. 
of stopping the deliberate. And we made it, um, the club has it already, but we did it that way because um, of safety reasons. We don't want people coming off the second tee, walking up, hello, hello, yeah. hello, <clears throat> bang in the it's face. Straight in the face. Yeah. yeah. And if it's an accident, you know, you call that four and I, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, if it's deliberate, it's happening all the time, you're walking off that tee, you, you won't even want to walk off that tee. Mm. So we just put a stop to that. Unfortunately, a couple of guys accidentally hit it right and went out of bounds. And if you just got over that ridge line, it, big bounce and it was going. So, you know, a lot of players actually had to play the hole like it was designed, hit an iron off the tee, either just short of the bunkers or fairway bunkers. And it actually turned into a reasonably decent hole and was actually uh, the third hardest hole at one point um, when I put that front left hole location on. Um, but it was it actually turned into a reasonably good hole once we made them or took away an option of going away from the penalty area and then they started hitting irons and eight and seven irons and rather than drive a flick wedge. So um, it was actually really good. And the one on 13 was a long way away from uh, the internal ladder bounds was a long way away from the 13th fairway. Yeah, you. I don't know of anyone who actually got, who hit it out of bounds on that hole. The one on 13, again, was uh, we weren't trying to stop the accidental, um, but the accidental shot would have been so far offline, they would have been caught by the penalty area before that. So it would have been so far offline um, that, uh, yeah, it would have been crazy. But it was there in case anyone tried to go deliberately down the 14th hole off the black markers when playing the 13th. And the only reason, uh, only time you do that would be, say, on the last day when we had that westerly or that southwester, that because uh, you actually can hit your drive down the black, off the black, and if you're big enough, um, can slightly roll into the penalty area. So you go left to the 14th and you've got more room to roll out. So that wouldn't wouldn't have happened, but um, we just didn't want it to happen. So we, we put it in there. Got a quick drop uh, situation for you from that same event last week with a player um, dropping off a car path. And I just had to explain, he was putting his tee right, right next to the path and the path running perpendicular behind the hole had gone long. And I said, no, 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 you need to take your stance as well. Get your left foot off the path to take your stance for your next stroke. Then we'll identify the nearest point of relief. I said, it's okay, it's there. He put a T in the ground to mark his reference point and then said, do I drop it right there? I said, no, no, you've got a whole one club length semicircle to drop it in. <laughs> so it's just we find these very simple procedural things. Like we have zero confusion about these procedural things but it's interesting how players just yeah do i need to drop it right there i said no you've got this whole area to drop it um anyway the funny thing about that is like you know uh, the elite golfers um when they're playing those elite amateur events they do tend to then start having um, uh referees but when you're a club golfer, there's no referees out there. When you're getting into sort of just any sort of tournament, there's hardly any referees. We've talked about referee development and stuff like that before, uh, but there's hardly any referees. And then suddenly, when you go to that professional game where um, strokes, you know, mean a lot, money means a lot, uh, you know, it's a job for a lot of people, and uh, referees are required. And actually, under the um, official world golf ranking, you do need 
um, to be playing by the rules of golf and all your players need to be playing by the rules of golf. And so it's very important to have referees there to help the players play by the rules of golf. Otherwise, the tour itself could lose their um, status. Uh, yeah, their uh, affiliation with the OWGR. <clears throat> so then, you know, I made sure we only had 40 players, but I made sure to have a good team um, of referees there in case anyone wanted anything. And we had a couple of calls at the pro shop to get our referees and we had uh, a good communication system set up. Uh, but uh, most of our referees were in positions where the players could see them and um, we got the referees there as soon as possible. But a lot of other players, is what I'm trying to say, a lot of other players wouldn't have even known that there was referees available and to be used uh, when they weren't sure of the rules. So um, I can see how they get to that position where they've never had a referee and wouldn't, and I, you know, just like myself, wouldn't have known what a referee was in the first place. Um, but once you get to the bigger game, the big leagues, um, you know, referees are there and are important for, for everyone. Uh, so, yeah, the last thing with the, uh, the Q school, we had a, unfortunately, well, whatever way it works out, but, uh, they do a, um, they split their pie, uh, for the last person in. they don't. They don't do eighth position or whatever it was, seventh position. It was eighth position this week. Eighth position in ties, it's just eighth position. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players got through from the 40 players or 41 players. And uh, that eighth person and the ninth person actually finished on the same score. And there was not a hole-by-hole playoff. It was a scorecard playoff. And it was a 36-hole count back. And the person who finished eight shot uh, 69, 69. And the first person who finished ninth who missed out shot 71, 68. So on 36 holes, uh, the 138 beat the 139. And they were uh, a couple of Kiwi uh, mates. Um, so it was a bit disheartening. But hopefully we're hoping that, uh, you know, that ninth person might possibly get through in the future um if with with a couple of withdrawals but uh yeah it was uh the the person who finished eighth actually hold a seven foot left to right uh a right to left putt sorry downhill on the 18th hole to get that position so uh lucky for him and unlucky for the person that he just knocked out by an absolute whisker uh, but uh, yeah, it would have been it actually would have been really cool having a playoff come up the 18th hole yeah. or even the ninth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is that was the Asian. I just loved it. I must admit, as tournament director, I was hardly doing any rules. I was mainly just uh, making sure everything was good and the experience of the players was fantastic. And I hope I hope uh, that I did that. We've got a lot of um, comments about how good the condition of the course was, which is that that's the most important thing. A uh, superintendent at uh, Spring Valley, Craig Anthony, said, "If you make the greens as the, you know the best that they can be, uh, suddenly the beer tastes good, 
the range is, uh, you know, the driving range is excellent. Um, there's plenty of car parks in the car. You know, even if you have to park a mile away, there's plenty of car parks and it's good access to the clubhouse. Um, the clubhouse is clean. You know, if you make the greens good, everything else seems to be fine. As soon as those greens falter, suddenly everything else is crap. <laughs> so I didn't have any control over the greens. Um, that was my super, uh, the superintendent, Simon Cochran, at uh, Mount Derrimut, and he did, uh, he did an excellent job with only five staff. There's only five greenkeepers helping him out. Oh, yeah, that's um, And so that... that the job and the setup of the course. I know it was only an AM field, um, but he did an amazing job and I really appreciated Simon for that. So, uh, there was uh, any other further comments from the qualifying school stage one? Was that your first time being tournament director? Uh, yes, it was. I think you did an okay job. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you did a, uh, an excellent job. And mm, okay, I think I'm wondering, uh, we can talk about this later. I'm wondering how that impacted you not doing the on the course refereeing and rulings and being available to the players and actually having that, um, you know, overseeing all arching sort of responsibility for everything and not just being out there, as I said, doing the rulings. But uh, look, if I was to, I'm actually not too bad at, uh, critiquing myself but I was if I was to critique I'm really good at doing if you listed down the jobs that need to get done I'm really good at ticking them off right and so I was good at putting the water in the eskies putting the ice in the eskies putting the banana uh, out there putting changing the weather um, thing that we had you know making sure all those things were ticked off um you know, so that it, all the players were well informed, well uh, fed, well uh, drunk, no, uh, well hydrated. quenched, yeah, well <laughs> hydrated. Uh, so I'm all I'm really good at those kind of things, um, but I don't think tournament operations is is my gig. I'm I'm not. I had an amazing assistant tournament director, uh, as well as my chief referee. So my assistant tournament director was Doug O'Keefe. And just behind the scenes, uh, he just helped. He, he's had so much experience in this kind of stuff and he loves it too. He loves it and he loves, you know, the experience that the players are having. I don't quite have that. It was, I did have it slightly this week. I was in such a high come Friday afternoon um, after we finished um, that it went so well. But uh, I, I think I'll stick to refereeing. And now I've just got to learn the rules. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I'm probably more a pace of play specialist than than a referee. But uh, we, yeah, it was actually really weird just standing in and just having a comp while play was going, and I was just having conversations with the general manager, with you know my manager, with my tournament admin, who did an amazing job. She helped me out so much. Um, you know, with the super all these things while play's going, it was just the weirdest thing. Cause I'm usually just so focused on play, pace of play, rulings, blah, blah, blah. That was my focus was prior to first tee off. And then after tee off, you know, fixing things up. And then we even on the Friday, which was amazing by the volunteers at Mount Derrimut, 
can't uh, thank them enough. We actually got live scoring going for the last six groups so that they could work out where, you know, it wasn't really a big thing about who was going to win. It was about who was going to finish on yeah. that 7, 8, 9, 10, 7, 8, 9, 10 sort of thing. So, um, yeah, and organising that with the, the help of Jeff Ross um, at Mount Derrimut and Ian Cruz, the general manager who supported me so well, um, was just awesome. Um, but no, I don't think I'm going to cross over to the tournament operations. I'll leave that for Doug. And yeah. uh, I'll get back on the referee team soon. Although next year I definitely will do T- TD again um, with Doug and Jeff um, if it come if it comes back. Um, so it might just be my one one time per year that I do TD. Um, but uh, I think I'll stick to the refereeing. Okay, very good. Now you've got uh, you refereed, and we haven't talked about it. You refereed at the European Tour Stage One at Rosebud. Uh, which was about three weeks ago. Uh, maybe four. Okay, start, yeah. start of September or end of August. Yeah, it finished yeah. maybe one, two September. Something and, now, like that. and now we're in October. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so it's almost four and a half. Yeah. And you've got a couple of rulings that you're going to go through? Oh, just a few. Uh, by the way, Blake, we call it the DP World Tour. Oh, sorry. Now, just, uh, you know. Well, it's it's technically the European Tour, but with a... Uh, Sponsorship. A, yeah, a name sponsor. Uh, I had a first. Um this was the guy that uh, oh, I was going to name him without naming him. He actually won. Um, he had a cut ball. Um, never come across a cut ball before. So it was a par three. Had a what? Cut ball. Oh, cut ball. And uh, I was on a par three and I just happened to be sitting right behind the green and he and his caddy called me over and he's got his ball in his hand. And uh, he said, look at this mark. Um, and I'm thinking straight away I've gone, it has to have happened on this hole. So, because that's the rule, right? Yeah. I said, um, if you, the rule is, yeah, I'll just cut in because yeah. I'm good at that. The rule is, it's probably a little bit better that we're sitting beside each other and doing this. <laughs> that's great. But uh, it, the, the rule is, if you actually tee off knowing that your ball is cut, then bad luck. You cannot uh, replace that. But if it's cut in the shot, um, then you can. Replace, but carry on. No, no. So I'm thinking his tee shot was uh, it's quite a long par three, and he said it just ten meters off the green to the right, pin high, and then he's chipped on. He's then marked it, lifted it, and realised. And I thought it has to have happened from that first shot, not the very, very gentle second shot. So I just simply said, "Has has this happened during this hole?" And the caddy said straight away, "I cleaned it. I cleaned it on the last green." And I didn't see anything. Maybe he cut it while he was playing. He could have cut and polished, maybe. Because he had, he had a shave and then he cut it. With and, you know, as soon as the caddy said that, I've got nothing to go on. Yeah. Like, I mean, I cannot, I've got nothing to dispute that. I've got to take it at face value. Um, so I did. I said, okay, that's fine. Um, and I could stick my fingernail underneath it. Okay. So that, that was well and truly enough for me to say that ball's not the way it should be. Interestingly enough, uh, for the DP World Tour, any ruling we gave in those four days, we actually had to submit a form. We went to a uh, a website page thing, a form, and we actually had to fill out a fair amount of information for that one ruling. We talk about the player, the hole, the date, my name, the rule number if I knew it, um, and it had the opportunity to submit a photo for that ruling as well. So that, that particular one, I asked the player, can I grab the ball for a second? I did take a photo of it and uh, submitted it through that form. 
Um, and then, of course, gave it back to him, not that he wanted it. I did speak to the tournament director afterwards, and he said, you know, it's unusual for now the balls these days to become cut or cracked. As I said, I could stick my fingernail underneath it. So clearly something had um, gone wrong with that golf ball, so I had no issues clearly with allowing him to replace or substitute in another ball to finish play that hole. We um, actually, I'll just cut you again. We actually, on the Asian tour, have to submit forms about... <clears throat> Who the player is, uh, what the ruling was, and there's a couple of reasons that we reasons that we do that, just in case the player wants to or any other player wants to debate um, the ruling later on, and then so the TD can go back through the notes and or the chief referee can say, oh yeah, well this is the ruling, this and da 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 da, and so that's one reason. The other reason is if we see um, the same player um, having or or being involved in where they call a referee. In for the same ruling over and over again, and it's quite a simple ruling, you know, taking a relief from a cart path, taking an unplayable, all those kind of things. Uh, then uh, we would educate that person on the rules because uh, clearly their education process has failed when it comes to the rules. Now, that was my first interruption. My second interruption, I got this as a photo. See that photo now? Uh, that's the photo there. Uh, uh, look at that. You can see the um, reflection of the camera. Uh, that is a Callaway. Yeah, I will name and shame. See like production crew behind it. Yeah. $10,000 studio. Um, that is a Callaway golf ball. I'm not sure what kind of Callaway golf ball, but it's it, like a super soft. It was uh, super cracked. That's what that is. Uh, it was purchased that morning. Yeah. And, uh, and broke into... Well, bro it didn't broke into pieces. This was the question that I had to him. But uh, this, the the referee gave him, allowed him to replace the ball, allowed, allowed him to cancel the stroke and replace it. Oh, and because he thought it had broken in. And I said, pieces. I said, but it's not in pieces. It's still together. Hmm. And he said, uh, well, the referee was feeling generous. I said, I said, well, and then we went down this path because this was actually a really interesting question. I was like, well, if you put, pieced it together and you saw a piece missing. Mm, now it's in pieces. Would it, would it then constitute being in pieces? And he actually, uh, he sent this one away um, for further clarification. He said, well, you'd have to know that a piece had come off. You'd have to know. Um, it's not good enough. It's not good enough that you'd think, oh, there has to be a piece missing. But you and I have had this conversation that that piece can be any size and if it's on its own, that ball is now in pieces, multiple pieces. Yes, yeah. The the small piece that is missing from the big piece has now made it. No matter how big that piece is, yeah. it still means that by the English language, uh, the singular has turned into a net. Exactly, uh, it is now plural. not. Yeah, it is now not it's one. Come from piece to pieces. Correct. Uh, so, but you have to know. Yeah. Or does it have to be at least ninety-five? I asked them this. Or does it have to be at least ninety-five percent certain that it's in pieces? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you saw that it hit a tree as hard as, and you 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 were absolute ninety-five at least ninety-five percent virtually certain it a piece went that way and a piece went that way and you walk <laughs> over your ball but it's really hard to see that a piece is left but mm -hmm. you were so certain i mean you know the first thing i'd probably ask is yeah but it could have been a piece of the tree and you're like oh it hit a rock instead 
No. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. but the ruling came back that you have to, you know, you have to know or have at least that 95% that um, it is in pieces. It's our plural. Yeah. Um, to be able to cancel a stroke and replay it, mm. replace the ball, replay it. Mm. Um, where, whether, where, as with your ruling, if it is just a crack, you replace the ball. You don't cancel the stroke. If it's cut or cracked, you just um, replace that ball as it is right now. Do you need to mark it before you replace well, it? Well, it was on the green anyway. So he'd marked it, lifted it, okay. and walked over to me to But the question is, it. if it was in the fairway, do you need to mark it before you Absolutely. Because you so, need to replace it. So he's replacing yeah, it with a different ball. Absolutely, you need to mark it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, what cut ball. What yeah, is- I was just saying it was a first. Um, there was a tree root, and you know we had this conversation last week at the Asian Tour qualifying school about if you are ever uncertain about a rule, just get on the radio. And I think the important thing for that is not to demonstrate that you know the rules or you don't know the rules. It, it's just for consistency. Yeah. It's just so everybody, every player is getting the same treatment. And I was ninety five percent sure this local rule had not been adopted. And that was for tree roots. But sure enough, this player calls me over and his ball is sitting right on a really big root, just breaking the surface of the ground, probably two metres off the fairway. Two metres. Like, so do it in club lengths. So is that two club lengths? Yeah, two club lengths off the uh, edge of the fairway. <clears throat> now, I was almost certain, but I thought, hate for this player to break his wrist and then for me to find out later that, in fact, there was a local rule adopted to provide relief off tree roots. It's just one of those, why why have that little bit of doubt? Even though I was almost certain the model local rule hadn't been adopted. So it was a quick call to the radio, tournament director, just double-checking, we do not have provide free relief for tree roots. And he said, absolutely not. I said, thank you, got it, thanks. And that was enough for me to go to the player, you know, with obviously the cert. But to me, that's the consistency of making sure that, because it's one of those obscure ones and it, it, can, it could be adopted, it may not be adopted. Um, just to double check, <clears throat> and of course the player goes, oh, well, you know, I'm going to break my wrist and all this. So I said, well, your two choices are, your players at lies or take it unplayable. That's why I said that to him. He actually said, oh, you know, I'm going to break my wrist. No, it was long, oh, well, I could break it or, you know, here I am, I'm going to break my wrist now. Hit the ball there. Well, <laughs> or take it unplayable. I mean, if you think you're going to do that, if you hit your ball up a tree, you, is the excuse going to be, oh, well, I couldn't climb up there and break my neck? Yeah. I've never heard a player say that. I mean, they just come up with some of the dumbest arguments in that situation. And I've got one more for a you. Tree, yeah. if you don't have any trees in the course, then I wouldn't expect it. And a tree root would be abnormal in a treeless course. I would think so. Right. Been there from 50 years ago. Right. Mm. But a, uh, a tree root. On a course is not abnormal, and you should have seen the size of the trees in that area. Yeah, huge pine tree, trees, Matthew. Right? Yeah, with pine needles all yeah, covering yeah. the ground, which made it actually quite easy for ball searches right. in that area because it was just all brown pine needles. One other was a rule six point five, so completion of the whole one um, on the par four seven eighth dog leg left. So he's pushed his tee shot right into the trees, and basically hit a really really low runner second shot. And it's gone over the rise and disappeared towards the green. And everyone's just waiting. So I um, arrive at the scene and I could see in the distance around the green, a ball surge, right? People, players, caddies everywhere looking for the ball. I've gone bang, straight away, stopwatch, start it, and I drive up. 
and I just go, where are we looking? What was the line? Who was the player? Where'd you hit it from? And I said to one of the other players, can you give me a rough idea of how long it's been since I arrived? He goes, oh, we've probably been searching for a good minute. I said, okay, thanks. And I'll do my calculations, you know, um, took me 20 seconds to get here. I started it then. So I got a rough idea. Because I do like the idea Plus of the 10 seconds of working out calculations. All that, all that. <laughs> maybe five. And I like, I think it's really, really important to tell, give the player an update yeah. and run it down, hey, 60 seconds to go, 30 seconds to go. Or they go, I'll oh, forget it, I'll go back. And I go, well, you've actually still got 45 seconds. Oh, I definitely wouldn't do that. I want them to hurry up. <laughs> Oh, no. They want to walk out. I just go. I know you okay, do. All right. So everyone's searching. Now behind the grass, behind the fairway is some really, really thick grass. There could be a ball anywhere in that thick grass. He's now resigned himself to the fact. Off he goes. I've sort of followed him to give him a lift. He's yeah. already sort of almost half yeah. dropped back. And now he's the group behind, waiting in the middle of the fairway. Yeah. He's gone over to the right trees. Didn't ask for any of my assistance, but I'm parked about 20 metres away to give him a ride back. Yeah. Drops, hits, does exactly the same shot. Yeah. Low runner because of the tree, um, low runner over the hill towards the fairway, uh, comes over to me and I drive him up again. Yeah. And it ends up just short of the green, right? Yeah. So he's lying now for just short of the green. Going to be lucky to get up and down for a double. Okay. I then drive around the back of the green and the other two players are sort of just waiting and he's just practising his chip shots and just ready to, or practising his swing, just ready to chip on. And... One of the other guys just repairs a few pitch marks near the hole. And then I hear him turn to the other player. This is second and player two and three. And I hear a bit of commotion. And they look at me and I drive over. And, sorry, I walk over and I go, guys, everything okay? Can I help? And the guy standing next to the flag goes, his ball's in the hole. <laughs> That's awesome. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, it's got his Thailand flag on it. Wow. And so I walk over, this guy's still ready to hit, but now he's not going to hit because those guys are standing around in the green, including my, it's near the pin, including myself. So now he's going, come on, guys, I need to hit. And I reached down and I saw the tight flag staring right yeah, at me. Yeah. And he said, no. And the other guy said, no, it's his. He's got a tight flag on it. Yeah. So I picked it up out of the hole, walked towards him. I said, right it's in the hole. And the other player goes, so what happens now? He's dropped and he's hit and all this. I said, he's, yeah, he's, I said it doesn't matter. And just going to give him two shots for practicing. <laughs> So this guy has gone from... That's not true. Yeah, there's no... It's the hole's finished and he didn't know it was finished. This... No, that's true. So this um, this guy is staring a six in the face yeah. and writes down a two. Yeah, how cool. He almost that. jumped in the air. That's awesome. When I walked towards him, I said, tie flag. Yeah. He goes... And he wasn't quite sure, but I, I think he saw my demeanour that I was happy for him and he knew, oh, this is a two. He wanted a second opinion because he... Yeah. This referee is trying to tell me I just did. But, uh, so, again, a first for me. He was excited. What would they have done had I not been there? Declared the for ball lost and then it would have been Something, you know, something. What would they have done, though? Would I reckon that situation, I reckon they would have called something. Ah, absolutely. Yeah, not, absolutely. not being sure. So uh, they would have stood there waiting, holding the group behind to, to make sure they got the right ruling. But I happened to be there and, as I said, it was a first for me. Well, that was that's one ruling that I've never had, so that's amazing. Pretty exciting. Yeah, that I mean, is, it that disappeared is, over the rise. You're finally giving someone good news. And no one thinks to look in the hole. Usually referees are giving bad news. Right. So for you to give good news, that's awesome. And no one looked in the hole. Yeah. You know, every now and again, you just wander by. Okay, it's not there. I, yeah. I knew it wouldn't be there, but I now know for sure it's not there. And sure enough, his ball was in the hole. That's amazing. I wonder where... The, so he's done the same shot, sort of hit it around. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. I short. wonder where... Yeah. Everyone, no, so no, none of the other players were actually looking... 
when it came into the under the flag stick. No, it was uh, blind to them. Oh, they couldn't see the bottom okay. of the flag stick because okay. it's disappeared over the rise oh, and head right. towards the crane. That's that's mm. awesome. Great great story. Actually. Yeah, that was a ripper. I was pleased with the guy. Yeah, he was really happy. And I think his dad was the caddy. You'll remember that one. Yeah, they were pretty excited. I wish I said that one. <laughs> so jealous now. Just do the editing and dub in your... <laughs> hey, Blakey, you told me this great story. <laughs> Can I share it with everyone? I'm going to... Yeah. Uh, right. I think uh, I think we're getting on to um, G, uh, GRQ OTW 101. Uh, Stuart, to wrap things up. Yep, I have it right here. GRQ OTW for episode 101. In an individual stroke play event, Andy, the average golfer hooks his tee shot left towards a red penalty area on the third hole at Wombat Hills. His group searches for around one minute in the thick grass outside the penalty area and frustrated, Andy drops a ball using lateral relief from the red penalty area, even though it is not known or virtually certain for his ball to be in the penalty area. He's about to play his next stroke with the dropped ball when someone else finds his original ball in the thick grass outside the penalty area, well within the three minutes of search time. Which ball must Andy play? And are there any penalty strokes? Um, so when you say, the only thing I wanted to clear up here, and it's actually um, better, because I'm such a visual learner, I get to read this thing instead of listen to you. Uh, hooks his tee shot to left towards a red penalty area, but then you say it's not known or virtually certain that it was in the penalty area. Is that because the grass is so thick yep. that it lessens that 95 down to sort of 60? Let's say the penalty area probably was poorly marked and probably they could have mowed and okay. set up the course yeah, a little bit no. better. So they just, no one saw it go into the penalty area, yeah. but they certainly saw it. And so then he's, 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 he believes it's in. Um, but not enough to be virtually certain it's in. He's just got to look, I'm just going to drop it. And so he takes the easy option out to go lateral relief from the red penalty yep. area. Yep. And then uh, someone finds it within the three-minute search time, yep. uh, but before he's hit the ball. Which he was just about to do. Okay. Yep. So the, this is, now there's two balls lying on the course. Okay. Both belong to him. What is the answer for GRQ OTW 101, please? Well, this has been uh, fantastic. Actually, the banter has been a lot better because we're right beside each other rather than on a Zoom call. Um, I think uh, Roscoe and I did this one only one other time, and that was sitting beside each other in a car. And I think that was that's actually been the audio must have been so bad that that's actually been our worst episode ever. I think the the least viewed episode was like episode three because of that one sit, uh, where we're sitting beside each other in a car. It was like a ferry going somewhere? Yeah, it, was, it might not have been three. It might have been 19. It was something along those lines. Um, but hopefully the audio is better. Hopefully the uh, the video um, is better and the content is better so that um, we'll get more listens and likes. And, and make sure you subscribe. Make sure you review Send a review in. Um, you can do it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Click the five stars. Um, don't click any others. Just click five stars because uh, we know that you... If you are listening to this and still listening, still listening. at 101 <laughs> and this, you know, how long this takes, this one, um, you deserve, you know, something because uh, th that is just amazing. If you are still listening and have listened to all 101 episodes... Uh, then you will only be clicking five stars. 
Um, because people who are still listening and are going to click two stars, why? Just, just stop listening. <laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> you know, if you think I sent something out the other day saying if uh, we want to try and get more listens and people listening, if you do have feedback as to why how we could make this better, send it through. We're, we're you know now we are trying. This is. Episode 101, I've got crows um, making noise in the background. I've got so many birds in the backyard. But we are now trying a, you know, rather than over Zoom, um, we're trying person, what do, you, what do you call this? Person, in person? In person. Yeah. Um, I was going to say live. On location? It's not live. I need to edit a few things out. Depending um, with the production crew as well. Although they're a bit noisy when they're reading. But yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, crows. Very help. Um, so if you do have feedback, as to why we have, you know, we keep going to all these new clubs and we see all these new golfers and they have no idea. And we just need to get some idea out to them on at least how to do a drop correctly. Not throwing it from, not a cowboy throwing it from hip height. Exactly what it was. Uh, I, I'm, I'm baffled by that. And considering I know what his scores were when they, when two of them played together on the Saturday, Sunday, I'm I'm so circumspect that you know rules weren't followed. Um, is circumspect the right word? Yeah, it's good. Um, good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, use those big words. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure it just just go and review it. Um, send us information as to how we can get better. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this uh, this episode the most. And uh, yeah, until next time, I'm away on Wednesday. Um, so I won't tell you where I live. No, I'm away on Wednesday uh, going to Jeddah. We've got Live Jeddah uh, next week. Um, so I'm helping out uh, setting up the course there. There are a lot of red penalty areas, uh, lots of hot sun, uh, so lots of lots of sand. Um, so I won't be here for at least 10 or 12 days. Um, but when we get back or when I get back, um, we'll film 102 if Stuart is around. I think uh, the PGA Tour of Australasia, they head to Western Australia this week. They do. Um, I won't be with them this week, but no. they do. And uh, <laughs> next week as well. They've got two weeks on uh, on the road. Um, and when's your next tournament? Queensland PGA. Okay. First week in November. There you go. And uh, I've got a few weeks off, uh, a few weeks of tournaments in November as well. Uh, but once I get back from Jeddah, we'll uh, we'll get another one done uh, and talk about Clubland stories because we've got tons and tons of them, and we love them, and we, we need to and get we to do them. love them, and uh, yeah, we need to look after our listeners. We exactly, we owe it to them. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Uh, like and subscribe, and until next time, without rules, there is chaos. Do you have a signature or sign? Sign up? No. No. No sign off from Steph. <laughs>